I got a little bit of Herbie Hancock going there. Way back, Watermelon Man kicked it all off, launched all of our careers, maybe, if you will. I've got Tim Jackson from the Monterey Jazz Festival in here with us. Really a pleasure to have you in the studio, Tim. Thanks for dropping by. Oh, David, Thank you, Tim. And we got Bobby Bishop, also with the Monterey Jazz Festival and also with K-Squid. K-Squid One jazz. of our renowned DJs, that's right. All right. In Be the in studio. the night. <laughs> Be in the night. In the studio to talk with us. I, I want to start by... Um, Reminiscing a little bit is what I said, and uh, and Tim, it says in your bio you you started very young as a musician. I'd like to start there and ask what you play and how long you played. Are you still playing? I do still play. I, I'm a flute player. Um, I, at various times in my life, I played some guitar and bass and and saxophone, um, and spent many years playing professionally uh, flute and saxophone. And then a couple decades ago, I gave up the saxophone. Flute was my first instrument, and I just concentrate on that now. So, yeah, I still play pretty much every day and go wow. out. I, I'm, I call myself a weekend warrior. You know, I'll get out there on weekends and do gigs. <laughs> are, you, are you playing so a combo or a trio? Yeah, or like this quartet, Sunday, I'm playing, um, I'm playing with a quartet down at the River Inn in Big Sur. Oh, from from uh, from noon to four so i do things like you know just little low-key gigs little jazz gigs and um i have a little group of uh, revolving cast of musicians that that i work with and i have a couple rehearsal bands and things like that so um yeah i'm looking forward to actually getting more back into my own music i bet because we're going to talk about your retirement here from the jazz festival just a little bit but i want to give a shout out to the river inn again because i used to hang down there with the jazz bands uh on sunday afternoons in yeah particular. is that when you're down there sunday yeah they have this great program that they've done i mean i think i've done it for probably 20 years and uh -huh. every sunday afternoon during the summer months um uh, leading into early fall um from noon to four on their back deck uh it's, it's live a great jazz experience. yeah it's great That's and you can sit out there and have lunch or just sit on the lawn and uh, uh wait in the river put your and feet in the river in the chairs that are in the river have a have a cocktail <laughs> and uh or beverage of your choice and it's all good yeah <laughs> well now let me get from you playing and starting as a very young person also in your bio, it says at 19, you were at the Bach Dynamite and Jazz. Yeah, Bach Dancing and Dynamite there, Society, uh, yes. Up in Half Moon Bay. Yeah, Pete Douglas was the founder of that organization. It's still going but by his daughter, Barbara, who actually lives in Santa Cruz. And I'm still on, I'm on her board of directors, so the Bach is still going strong. But in 1973, I lived up there... Um, for a better part of that year, um, and I lived in my Volkswagen bus, oh my and <laughs> I helped I helped Pete uh, produce the the Sunday. He he did jazz on Sunday afternoons, which they still do. Shout out and plug for Bach Dancing and Dynamite yes, Society. Indeed. It's one of the Bay Area treasures, and. Um, uh, we did jazz concerts every Sunday afternoon, and that's where I met Bobby Hutcherson and uh, Bill Evans and uh, Herb Ellis and all sorts of the people that I went on to to work with um, uh, over the decades. So Pete was really a mentor for me and uh, whetted my appetite f uh, for presenting jazz. 
And that he was doing that in Half Moon Bay was some kind of miracle. Yeah, well, he, I used to see it in the San Francisco Chronicle. That, you know, and I yeah, think, what, it's such a that? unique venue. It's basically yeah. at his house. He built a concert room next to his house, and it's right on the beach in El Granada. And uh, it's a beautiful facility. And as I say, it's uh, uh, his daughter Barbara has carried on the tradition. And they've been going since about the early 1960s. Yeah, indeed. Really a long-running venue. I got in there one time with Larry Coriel, played a solo uh, guitar gig, I think, there. He, I'm sure he did. Yeah, and, and I was uh, traveling with Larry at the time, became a good friend of mine, and was chauffeuring him, actually, kind of like, was there a movie called The Green Card or something? About oh, yeah, chauffeur? yeah. <laughs> I was Larry Coriel's chauffeur for a year, or a year or two, but I wanted to uh, drop the Bach Dynamite Dancing Society also in your career and that started you off with with experiencing the backstage elements of it if you will yeah he, he basically i got my feet wet on the production side there uh, helping pete yeah uh and um uh, is, is I, i'm sorry to ask but did pete pass away no longer yeah live he it? did yeah. um a number of years ago we had a beautiful service for him um uh, yeah, he was he was a completely unique human being, um, very committed to music and the arts, and uh, had three daughters. One of which, his middle daughter Barbara, as as I say, has carried on the tradition. And um, God bless her, is keeping the Bach going as a very vibrant music venue. Yeah, and, and it seems that that's a natural going from there at nineteen, learning the scene, learning running a club, watching Pete. Pete as your mentor, it seems like all that is a natural lead to Coomba and Santa Cruz. Yeah, it was um, when I, uh, I I had lived in Santa Cruz first when I first got out of high school for a little less than a year, and then I was up with Pete in Half Moon Bay, and when I came back to Santa Cruz, um, you know, Pete would record his performances, and I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool to have some of these great performances that we recorded at the Bach and play them on the radio? You bet. Knowing nothing back then about <laughs> artist rights right. and things like that. It was just like, oh, I got some tapes. Let's put them on the radio yeah. <laughs> with nobody's permissions. Right. <laughs> Best intentions, but you know, not, what not very smart thinking. So, <laughs> What radio were you taking those to? Or just that was just a thought? And you what was a thought? Away. So, yeah. I mean, at that time, it was, it was KUSP and... Uh -huh. uh, uh, I went down to KUSP, and they said, uh, I said, well, I've got these great live tapes of these great jazz artists. And they said, oh, you need to talk to Rich Wills, who was a radio programmer at, at you know, Bobby Knows Him Well. And he said, they said, you need to talk to Rich. He's here on whatever it was, Wednesday nights or something. So I said, okay, I'll come back. So I did. I went back, and and I had never met Rich, and so we became acquainted and I came on his show a couple times and we played the tapes just as we talked about. And he said at that time, he says, you know, I have this idea of um, a nonprofit jazz club in Santa Cruz. So it's really Coombo started with Rich Wills's germ of an idea I see. of a home for jazz in Santa Cruz right. managed through a nonprofit uh, organization. And so he said, would you want to work on that with me? And I said, sure. I, you know, I, I would do that. And so him, myself, and a, another a woman who worked at KUSP, Sheba Bernie, another programmer, mm -hmm. um, who was a friend of Rich's, um, 
the three of us, it, we weren't the only three. There was other people involved, but the three of us for the first three years or so were the were the most constant presence. Um, and so we started having some community meetings, and a gentleman named James Coleman, who has since passed away, came up with the name Kowumba. It's a Swahili word meaning spontaneous creativity. Um, and we, in our naivete, started an organization. We went to the flea market and sold a bunch of our stuff and uh, got enough money to have a local attorney, Jack Jacobson, to help us navigate how to uh, get our nonprofit status, which was you know much easier back then, uh, much less bureaucracy. And we started as an organization. Um, and we've started we presented our first concert uh in april of 1975 and we opened kowumba jazz center in may of 77 so within a two-year span it grew we, we it grew enough to where we were able to make the leap into our own venue which was the goal all along sure. and after a period of time uh, rich left after a couple of years two or three years Sheba stayed on for a little while longer, but they eventually drifted off and did did other things, and I and I remained as a presence and still to this day. So um, you know we've you know Kowumba is a community institution now, and it's gone through major evolution, and you know we're we've got a great young team there at Kowumba now. I'm still involved as the artistic director, but um, you know we have our 50th anniversary coming up in. 2025 so uh -huh. i'll look forward to that and uh, it's been it's been an amazing venue we got a show tonight <laughs> you, you know i i was looking at uh, and we're going to talk about all the things that the jazz monterey jazz festival does now i mean so many uh presentations at the event itself and the school and the traveling all-stars and so much going on and then i looked at kowumba and, and you're booked this week there's as much going on at kowumba right now in the next two weeks as at the jazz festival what a busy month for you yeah yeah <laughs> uh, the kowumba i mean basically we're 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 not quite back but we're getting close to the pre-pandemic levels of of attendance and activities and when we're operating at our peak i would say that there's some kind of activity in the venue public activity in the venue right. 20 three averaging about 25 days out of out of the month out of the month well that's so, almost the whole thing it's amazing you know yeah. those aren't all kawumba presentations no, we no. rent out facility to independent promoters, promoters. Um, we have our our education activities our our um uh, kawumba honor band uh, uh rehearses there on uh, on tuesday nights uh, but it is a very active busy busy venue yeah, again, I, I was just really impressed at all the shows, again, with some outside producers, but uh, promoters, but the number of shows and the great talent that's come in there as well as the Jazz Festival. You've got Santa Cruz and Monterey, both ends of the Monterey Bay, covered <laughs> with good jazz, great, great music. music, all kinds of good oh, stuff yeah. going on. And yeah, thank you for being the cement and glue for all that. It's I, like it's I no think. break there for you, you know. I remember years, years ago when you were uh, still at Monterey, 
course, but you are now. And then you had Elvin Jones like the next night uh, playing. And I think at that time I, heard, I don't do that stuff anymore. Exactly. Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I heard you say I won't be doing that anymore. And you had that little break in your head because you needed some downtime, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We would do all the whole the the Monterey Jazz Festival, and then the next night after the end of the Monterey Jazz Festival, we would present. I remember one year we did Elvin Jones. The other year we did. Um, Charles Lloyd, and I was like, oh, man, <laughs> forget it. Because, you know, a lot of our staff at Kowumba are also the volunteers, volunteers yeah. at Monterey, so everybody was just like, what are we think we're doing? <laughs> <laughs> There's so much similarity to, to volunteer radio like the squid here, and it all emanated from the grassroots, from somebody's passion, putting together some people, building it, yeah, growing it. That's you know, what you did at Kowumba. And uh, that's a great point, David. I, yeah. I agree with you that um, uh, a lot of these great community organizations, whether it be Kowumba or K Squid here, you know, it, it starts out with one or a, or a small group of people's uh, idea and vision, and other people buy into it, and then it becomes it, it kind of feeds off itself and it creates community momentum. And I've always said an arts organization is only as good as how well it represents the community that it resides in and how relevant very, very it well is put. to that community yes um that has to that has to be a, a a truism for you to have a successful nonprofit arts organization when it's a good idea it grows hopefully you water sometimes it. <laughs> there's good ideas that don't grow and that's always a shame but with a little bit of luck if you have yeah. a good idea you can grow it you're right, and at my age, I learned both sides of that truth. But <laughs> we all have. I think but, we're all of a certain vintage here. <laughs> but uh, but I remain optimistic, nonetheless. I get back up again. That's always my saying: get down, get back up again. Yeah, yeah. As as uh, you have done with these wonderful organizations, before we uh, leave Kumba, and on one hand we can never leave Kumba, but I, I to my memory, and this maybe is just rumor in the neighborhood, but to my memory, Clint Eastwood was coming up to the Kumba Jazz Center as a, as a jazz enthusiast, just as a fan himself. Yeah. No, he does. Yeah. Um, in fact, he was going to be. We had Tierney Sutton a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Um, and he was scheduled to come up, but uh, his his partner wasn't feeling well, and so they they couldn't make it. But huh. yeah, he comes at least once a year. I, he's on our board of directors at Monterey Jazz Festival, so I have a connection with him. And I, if there's a show at Kowumba that I think he'll like, um, I let him know. Uh -huh. And more often than not, he comes up. And when he comes up, I mean. I leave the venue after the show before he does because he's <laughs> he's back there hanging out with the artists, yeah. you know, and he loves jazz and he loves jazz musicians and they love him. And uh, so when he comes up, he's just one of the another jazz fan in the room. That's right. That's right. You know, I just want to throw in, I was in the uh, in the musician's room, very small green room at the Kumba. You brought a fan in for Larry Coriel. I was sitting back there with Larry and the great keyboard player he was touring with as a trio that, that particular year. And I, I was in there and, and know the back room and hang with the musicians. That was my point. I do that yeah. as often mm -hmm. as possible and ma many great memories from well, all that jazz is a very a very social music there and go. um it is um 
along with the great jazz music, there's always the jazz hang, which is always uh, a lot of fun. Part of the whole scene. And, but the reason I, I brought up Clint, because there was a transition for the Monterey Jazz Festival. Uh, Jimmy Lyons ran it, for, it started it with Ralph started Gleason. Started with Ralph Gleason, yes. For, for ma many, many years and, and established a wonderful event. And you came in, got on the board, and I imagine that was uh, partially because of your uh, success at Kuumbua, and then you got on, went down to Monterey Jazz Festival, and the, a year after that, 92, you became the director. And I, 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 again, back to the rumor on the Monterey Bay, that Clint was somewhat instrumental in, in helping you, gluing you into all that. Is that any? No, because okay. he, he was not yet on the board. Ah. Um, I, I was hired in 91, and I produced my first festival in 92, but I was there in 91, and I think he came on the board in 92. Uh -huh. uh, that being said, he's always been incredibly supportive of of me and the work that I've done and incredibly supportive of the festival. He still, to this day, is at the festival virtually every year right. unless he's, unless he's uh, making a, a new movie. Um, so, yeah, he's... Um, you know, I consider him to be a, a, a major support person for, for me personally and for the Monterey Jazz Festival specifically and just for jazz in general. He is, at the end of the day, he's just like the three of us. He's just a big jazz fan. That's right. Oh, yeah. That's right. All, 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 all the above true. I think in the, in the reason I brought up his name in those connections is in the larger sense, uh, you get out there in the world about the Monterey Jazz Festival, there, there's some Clint image attached to it, I think, in the public. Yeah, well, you know, he... Just um, because he's a, he hangs and he's on the board and he's a big name, so... He was at the very first festival, you know, he, wow. when he was in the service in the early 50s, he was stationed at Fort Ord. I, and, I knew that, but I didn't and, know he was at the first festival. And that, he, that's developed, he developed a love for the area, and as he told me, he said, if I ever have any success in the, you know, in the film and television world, I'd love to have a home in, in the Monterey area. Mm. And he did. And he said in 1958, I heard that the festival was going to happen for the first time, and he drove up to the festival um, and as has come most years since. In fact, his very first directorial debut, which was the movie Play Misty, Play Misty for, for Me, based on the song from the early jazz festival. Right, and he did some recording. of the filming in 1970. He did some filming at the 1970 festival. So you can see, if you watch the movie, and it's a pretty good movie. It, it holds up not too bad o over the years. And <laughs> you can see Cannibal, they film scenes at Monterey, and you can see Cannibal Adderley in the background with Joe Zawinul on piano. Uh, um, yeah. uh, Johnny Otis review with Shuggy Otis on, on guitar. Um, so, yeah, they're just, you know, some some great moments. So, he should be identified with uh, with the Monterey Jazz Festival. He's, as I say, when at our 40th anniversary, um, he we released uh, uh, a three CD set of Monterey live at Monterey music through his record label at the time, Malpaso, um, and he did a film, uh, a documentary on the festival for the 40th. This was, you know, back in the late 90s. Um, and he's always been there when we needed him. 
Yeah. I, I, I was in Paris uh, in a hotel, and in the lobby they had a TV set on, and it was playing Play Misty for me in the lobby of a Paris hotel. <laughs> there was another American expatriate kind of guy there, and, and he says, look at all those beautiful places. That doesn't really exist. That's the Hollywoodization fooling Europe. <laughs> and that was my hometown, Carmel. I'm going, man, that's it. That's the real deal. And it was so cool to, see, to see the scenes uh, in some place like Europe and, I, and think about home. And, and yeah, it was really existing. Just a reminder to everybody listening, we live in paradise. Mm-hmm. We are very lucky to live on the Monterey Bay. Wonderful, wonderful place. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Say amen, somebody. Amen. 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 Well, we're into the very start of the Monterey Jazz Festival now. And uh, before we get right to your part in 91 and 92 and taking it over, uh, anything more you want to say, any any stories about the early period before we start talking about your uh, era? No, I think we covered it pretty well. Yeah, I think so too. Okay, great. Well, then in 92, you took over. And uh, how did it start for you? What, what did you book? What was it like? Um, well, I think I came to the festival at a good moment in its history. Uh, as I say, I succeeded Jimmy Lyons, who was the founder, a founder, and the general manager for the first 34 years. Um, and I think, and he had produced some incredible performances over the years. But I think it's safe to say that... Um, by 1991, I, I think the programming was getting a little bit stale. A little repetitive sometimes. Um, not that the artists were stale, because they were all of our heroes, you know, Dizzy yeah, and yeah. Modern Jazz Quartet and Dave Brubeck and uh, um, uh, Jerry Mulligan, and folks, you know, Clark Terry. Um, those were all are and continue to be our musical heroes. Mm-hmm. But I, I would say there was probably a lack of diversity in the programming. It was kind of stuck in one particular era. And so it was kind of tailor-made for me because I had, as you pointed out, I'd been at Kowumba for you know over 15 years at that point, and I knew all the young artists. And so um, I think it was primed for me to come in, and it's not like, oh, well, we're not going to do Dave Brubeck or or Sonny Rollins anymore, um, is like, no, we're still going to do those arts, but we're also going to do Roy Hargrove and and Betty Carter and Diane Reeves, you know, artists like that. So um, it was it was a great situation for me. Perfect so, timing, as you just yeah, pointed out. Yeah, so it felt like and, um, and I of- could bring my certain musical aesthetic uh, to bear on the festival and that it would work and be accepted and and it was and we were able to over a period of time to i think reestablish monterey as one of the world's preeminent jazz festivals and, and the oldest and longest now? longest running longest yeah, it's running not not the oldest okay. but it is longest the longest running, running. What, what makes it not the oldest then? Uh, well, Newport, Newport started in 1954. Okay, gotcha. But Newport also had a period of years where it was dormant. Uh-huh. So, uh, so they, it's, You've you know, consistent. historically uh, correct. They are the oldest festival, but mm-hmm. we have been running, cons- you know, consecutively every year since 1958, other than 
2020, which was the COVID year right. where we had to do a virtual festival as opposed to a live festival. Right. Well, good company. I mean, Newport and Monterey, two, the two yeah, classic jazz festivals on Yeah, they're kind of like the, the bookend American the, jazz festivals, the, 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 one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast. Both started in the 50s. Both, you know, small seaside communities that were looking to, um, you know, in Newport's case, looking for activities for the people that live there during the summer. And in Monterey's case, looking for you know, a, a tourist type activity that could fit in that, what they call shoulder season after high summer is over. That's right. Yeah. So that's really, you know, and that's kind of the story of how Jimmy Lyon started the festival. He had 67 local Monterey business people who each contributed a hundred dollars. And that wow. hundred dollars was the bankroll for the first festival. Fabulous! Wow, fascinating information because I didn't know that either. That's, but that totally makes sense. That's how it launched. That's how yeah. we got it off the ground. Fabulous. Um, let's okay, and we're at ninety-two, and now let's move forward and talk about. Again, it really seems like you expanded the experiences, for, uh, or your team did, uh, and, yeah. and the thing got bigger and wider and. Yeah, we built it up to eight stages. Um, we just kept expanding on the grounds and taking over more and more buildings and outdoor venues and things like that. We upgraded the um, uh, all the production capabilities and uh, equipment that we had and to get it to a more state-of-the-art uh, presentation. Um, you know, KUSB was there every year doing right. doing live radio broadcasts. I think they had um, a, a truck at the time. And we're doing yeah, they had a remote yeah, truck. So cool. We had Bobby. a remote crew with yeah. uh, Larry Blood and Brett Taylor at the helms there. Howard was there with us. and Even Rich uh, Wills was there Rich for Wills a while. Rich Wills for a while, yeah, in the beginning. And of course, Bobby was there. Bobby's yeah. still there at the festival as an MC every year. He's part of the family. And uh, um, Bobby will be hosting the Garden Stage every night, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Is that right? Uh, that's right. And and, the, and <laughs> that's uh, that's his stage. <laughs> yeah, Bobby's stage. Yeah, I bet. I'm, a, I'm a junior Tim. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he brings him. He brings all the artists there, not me. Yeah, that's you, great. <laughs> but you get the fun stuff. You get to be on the stage with them and backstage with them and, yeah. and hang with them. And uh, K-Swid's going to have a tent there this year, and we're going to be. Uh, across the grass from uh, the garden stage. So oh, you're going to be able to shout out to us up at the uh, tent. We're going to be able to listen to you oh, and the bands so cool. you introduced down at the garden stage. Right. And we're just really excited to uh, have that's a tent great. there and be there and have Bobby there with us. And Yeah. yeah. So this case going to be well represented. You bet. Thank you. <laughs> and, and should be. And I'm glad you mentioned Cusp too, because we are the descendants of Cusp, if yes. you will. Uh, Howard yeah, it feels, here, Bobby feels here. that way to me. Yeah. You know that this is a, a continuation of that uh, of of that spirit. And uh, uh, you know, KOSP had been broadcasting the festival since maybe before I got there. Um, so they had a long-standing right. uh, relationship and. Um, uh, you know, we always have looked to whether it be whether it was KUSP or now K Squid. You know, for for the support of our local community radio, and it's all a big ecosystem. I just want to give you just a quick shout out. That's so true, Tim, because 
for my uh, association, all those you know, DJs at the time, it was just like so many of them that I fed off of, you know. And I love it when you would always bring in artists live at the station there. You know, my first interview, you brought in Les McCann. I got a chance yeah. to, to interview Les and you brought him in. And, and, and Ron Carter. And Ron Carter. And, and Max Roach. Max Roach. <laughs> so, and, you know, just so many great artists you kept bringing in. So the association, like you said, the especially from the jazz aspect, you know, was really, you know, KUSP. I mean, uh, we really, Larry Blood was just amazing engineer there. And, you know, Brent with him also and everybody else. But it was really a great time. And uh, this is an offshoot from that, that, that perspective that we had to that's right. A lot of the same people it's, here that, that started this up and came to be DJs here again. Exactly. Yeah, a lot of the same exactly. personalities on, on this station. And in the jazz world, locally, we're pretty much the only voice of, of local jazz every night. And Bobby, you're on Tuesday nights. Yes. Yeah. And Howard's on Wednesday nights. Wednesday, yeah. And we got a show on Thursday nights. Jazz Tracks. Jazz Tracks. And Bill Noreen and those guys and Charles on Thursday. Actually, tonight. That's, is this Thursday? I'm here every Thursday. I forget sometimes. That's right. Yeah. So the, the squid is carrying the flag for jazz on yeah, the radio. Absolutely. And what a what a great tradition jazz on the radio is. I mean, that goes all the way back to the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. And mm -hmm. here we are now. Yeah. So it's about 1.30. And this is KSQD Santa Cruz. And we're talking with Tim Jackson and Bobby Bishop from the Monterey Jazz Festival uh, coming up in a few weeks here. We're so honored to have them in the studio with us talking story here, sharing, sharing uh, <laughs> good words about jazz and, and the festival coming up and the Kumba Jazz Center. I'm going to uh, put on a little music here, take a break. We're going to reorganize and we'll be right back with you all. Thanks for listening.
spirit to possess you or drives away the bad spirit. This is the drum that creates a hypnotic influence over its listeners. So it is said. Herbie Hancock here, early Herbie Hancock. This is the drum. And um, put this on because Tim kind of always enjoyed Herbie. Uh, turned me on to this one pretty much. So I really appreciate you one day at your house where you pulled it out and uh, had different versions of it. But, um, you know, so glad to have you here. Again, the Monterey Jazz Festival is not too far away, about two weeks away. Again, so make sure you get your tickets are still available. Uh, just go to MonteryJazzFestival.com and you'll find them on their website. You can go on there. Dot org. Dot org. And uh, thank you. And uh, that'll get us get you started. You know, I know most of you already have that plan to be there because this is the year of Tim's last year, but you're still in our hearts and, you know, you you have your fingerprints all over that festival for a while. <laughs> yeah. Which brings me to this. While you transitioning out, um, have, have you set the elements for the next year in a sense for whoever comes across? I know you're going to be in advisory capacity. I mean, uh, you'll still have some energy and creativity into what, you know, maybe a new person would have in store. Um I th- How do you plan that? You know, I'll, I will be there as a support person for the new for the new AD. Um, I haven't done any programming at all for next year because I don't. I didn't feel it was appropriate. I want the person to come in and be able to design their program from soup to nuts, beginning to end. So, um, but I'm prepared to work with the person and will work with them to. Make sure they know all the people they need to get a hold of, uh, and just be a a, a support network for uh, whatever I can do to help them uh, be successful. So, is it getting closer to finding um, in the recruitment process? Yeah, in fact, they just announced today who the new artistic director is. Is a gentleman named Darren Atwater from Washington D.C. Um, he's got an organization called excuse me, the soulful symphony that he has in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think he's going to be a a dynamic uh, new presence and will take the festival in some great, great directions. That's a piece of news breaking here on the squid. That's breaking news. Yeah. Uh, Can you say his name again? Darren Darren Atwater. Darren Atwater will be the new artistic director at the Monterey Jazz Festival starting 2024. 2024. Yeah. So yeah. he'll be there this weekend. Oh, excuse me, not the, the weekend of the Jazz Festival. He will, absolutely. He will I'll make sure to introduce him <laughs> to you all. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's so great. That's so great. Um, a few things that you've um, started and implemented with the Monterey Jazz Festival or or took it to another level, like the, the uh, Jazz Educational Program, um, and also um, uh, the part of... Um, Commission, you know, different artists commission mm-hmm. to bring uh, new uh, feature new music from the Monterey Jazz Festival with the theme and the spirit of the Jazz Festival at their creation. Were those programs that you introduced or were they already in place? They were, I would say, they were programs that I reintroduced because if you look at the early days of the festival, um, they had an artist in residence program. It had just gone dormant for decades, so hmm. I reintroduced it in 1994. And the festival always had a focus on education. It's just that when I came in, then we really um, committed much more deeply to the programs and and 
added a lot more dollars to the budget and just built the programs out to be really reflective of the modern day. So how did that program grow? And is, is it met your expectations in terms of reaching the youth? And, uh, and how, how much uh, energy and impetus did Paul Contos have share with you with that development? Yeah, well, Paul was instrumental, excuse the pun, uh, or no pun intended, um, for decades. You know, he was part of our Artists in the Schools program going back to the mid-'80s and uh, remained in that capacity for decades. He was then succeeded um, Bill Berry as the director of the Next Generation Jazz Orchestra, and was there for a number of years. He's no longer with the organization. Right. But uh, he'll always be there in spirit, and, and he was really one of the guiding lights of, of jazz education, both in this community and beyond. Um, I think he's still—we uh, have Gerald Clayton now as the, uh, yes. as the director of our Next Generation Jazz Orchestra, but Paul's still very active in the community. He's the director of the uh, SF Jazz Youth Youth all-star band mm -hmm. uh so he's yeah still very active in the community mm -hmm. talk a little bit about the um the commission tribute to the monterey jazz festival and how that uh, transpires well every year we will uh i'll identify an artist that we invite to uh create a new piece of music and premiere it at the festival so we started the program in 1994 with Billy Childs, mm. and he wanted to do a chamber orchestra piece with his jazz trio. And it was wildly successful. It was a beautiful <laughs> piece of music. Um, Nicole Paymont, who used to live here in the community from up at UCSC, was the conductor. Mm. I still have really fond memories of that. And, uh, and from there, we've had a commission piece every single year. That uh, So it would be, this will be the... 30th year of of commissions um and this year will be ambrose akin the great trumpet player right. from the bay area who um also came through our next generation jazz orchestra when he was in high school because he went to berkeley high school up in the bay area and he's going to do uh write a piece that kind of combines jazz and west african uh party music oh beautiful and with uh omu sangare the great uh singer from mali um as the special guest so i'm i'm really looking forward to this piece because it's going to be a celebratory kind of um i had asked ambrose if we could do something since it was my last year okay. in kind of a not a somber piece but right. a real happy up oh, sure. up kind of party piece right so that's what we're looking for and uh i'm sure i've you know working with ambrose has been one of the highlights for me over the decades um not to get off track here but i remember a few years back with the monterey jazz festival tour band you had him at your house and i had the honor to feed all those guys and and dd uh, that was such oh, amazing oh yeah that was in 2013 yeah when we that was really probably my favorite touring band that we had that was christian mcbride chris ambrose. potter ambrose dd benny green on piano lewis nash on drums dd bridgewater yeah yeah it was a great band and we had a, and it was a really fun band to tour with yeah they were all over at the house at and, the house. and uh and i got and, a chance to feed them all yeah and dd yeah, was, was pulling on my arm saying what are you putting those beans what are you putting those beans <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> 
But uh, that was a real highlight for me. That's obviously a memory I'll never forget, you know. Yeah, it was really fun. Staying around the kitchen here with all this talent and, and legends right here. Hanging with the musicians again, Bobby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Um, with uh, the kind of thing, I, okay, talking about the uh, Monterey Jazz Basketball Tour Band. Now, is that kind of like the Art Blakely and the Jazz Messages where everybody comes in and takes a chair a year and so to continue in the progress, we'll still continue on with different artists as the years go forward? Or is that going no, to... Not, not particularly. We, we started the band uh, as an offshoot of our 50th anniversary back in 2007. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking of ways to kind of leverage a 50th anniversary. So we started a record label, which lasted about five years. We published a 50th anniversary book, and I thought, well, wouldn't it be great if we could put a band together, put it out on the road, and take this music to communities throughout the country? So we did. We put we put an all-star band together. That first band in 2007 was a real cross-generational band. It was James Moody, Terrence Blanchard, Nina Freelon, Benny Green, uh, Derek Ha, John Bass, and Kendrick Scott on drums. It was a great band. In fact, we recorded live at the festival that year and released a record of that group, which we took on the road with us. And uh, that record won a Grammy for Terrence that year for Best Jazz Solo on uh, on the tune Bebop. Wow, right uh, so it was really a way to engage and leverage the brand of Monterey Jazz Festival beyond the three days of the festival. Yeah, so that first tour, I think we did 52 dates over a period of about three months. Um, and so every, about every two to three years, we'll put a new touring group together. Okay. And it changes every time. Uh, we just, you know, we'll put together a group uh, of a couple partners that we work with. And uh, we'll just go, well, who's out there? Who's happening right now that makes, you know, some artists don't really like to do those kind of projects. Yes. But some artists do. So you just, you have to find the... Uh, I mean, that's really the whole art behind that is to find a compatible group of, of musicians mm-hmm. uh, that you want to not only represent the brand of Monterey Jazz Festival, but also are, are going to create an incredible night of music and feel good vibes working as a group together for, you know, for a long tour of, you know, three weeks or a month together. Beautiful. Your memory of attention to detail of every member of those bands is is incredible. At, yeah. this, at this point, after every, all the bands that have been there all and the all years. the musicians and all the years. Yeah. Don't ask me what I had for dinner last <laughs> night, though. <laughs> Good. You're still in the club with the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tim, you know, we have Terry Lynn Carrington here queued up to share. And uh, her latest, I guess, New Standards, Volume 1. And uh, you chose a selection entitled Respected Destroyer. Um, give us your, why, uh, your, your affiliation and, and uh, what inspires you, impresses you about Terry Lynn Carrington. Well, she's, uh, she's a leader in the music. She's a great drummer. She's a great composer, producer, band leader. Um, she's a leader in the social justice movement. Yes. Um, she is a leader in... Uh, uh, creating opportunities for women uh, with within music, and I've uh, 
completely respect what she does and tr- and try and be supportive of her where whenever I can. She's been our artist in residence. Uh, she's performed quite a bit at the festival over, over the last 10 years or so. Mm. And uh, she's just somebody that's always bubbling with new projects and new ideas. Um, and this is a great new record. It's it's all women composers. I picked this track because Brandy Younger is on it, and Brandy uh, performed with Robbie Coltrane at the festival last year. Yeah, it was a great show. Uh, um, Bobby, we should mention again, this is KSQD, Santa Cruz, KSQT, <laughs> Prunedale, and streaming worldwide at, at ksqd.org. Thank you. So glad you folks are tuning in this afternoon. A great Great Thursday afternoon here with Tim Jackson, one of my favorite friends, and a great spirit with music, as we all know, from Kwumba and the Monterey Jazz Fest, his last year, and he's sharing some of this his energy and time with us here at K-Squid. So you are important out there, and uh, this is called Love of the Community, where Tim is giving back to us here at KSQD. We're going to put some uh, uh, Terry Lynn Carrington on right now, again, right here with Brandy Younger.
Terry Lynn Carrington and her latest entitled New Standards Volume 1, a Respected Destroyer, uh, Destroyer, that's again by Brandy Younger. Uh, great band with her here, Tim. I mean, it's like uh, Dan, David, it's like you know Terry Lynn Carrington there with Chris Davis on piano, Mary May Hanho on bass, uh, Nicholas Payton on, on uh, trumpet, or Ambrose doesn't really say on this one. Uh, there's... Ambrose is a special guest on this uh, recording date, so that was yeah, kind of Elena interesting. Elena Pinderhughes on flute, I think. On flute. A wonderful, wonderful uh, disc. Uh, Terry Lynn Carrington should be there um, performing Sunday. Yeah. Sunday, okay. Um, at the main stage? Mm-hmm. And will she come out? And then she's going to perform with Chris Davis and Chris Davis's band, Diatom Rhythms, uh, Sunday afternoon on your stage, the garden stage. Oh, beautiful. The Bobby Bishop stage. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't go there. <laughs> um, just moving around here. So glad to have Tim Jackson here with us and, uh, you know, giving the music uh, lineup for us and doing such great years, Tim. I'm just amazing of how you've put this together. And, uh, of course, you have great help in the staff down here, people with ideas and their, you know, uh, input into uh, what the whole theme would be and, and what you're trying to accomplish. So, um, but you as the main person, I mean, we really respect that, man. And it's always a pleasure to see you running around the, on your bicycle at the fairgrounds. I'm telling you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you got to take one more trip, <laughs> and then some. Yeah, no golf cart for me. I like the bike. <laughs> uh, Kristen McBride, you know, his latest entitled "New Jaw," and uh, he's just such an amazing artist. And uh, before I let you, you know, one of the things I saw a show years back at Kumba Jazz, and Kristen came and said. When you come into Santa Cruz, you got to kiss Tim Jackson's hands like he's the, he's the godfather. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah. And he whole, teases me about that. The whole place went wild. <laughs> yeah, after Chris. that tour we were talking about in 2013, that MJF on tour, him and Lewis Nash, they went out to a pawn shop and they got me this big gaudy ring <laughs> and they they and they because they started calling me the godfather so then on stage because we ended the tour at at Kawumba, they brought me up on stage and gave me this ring you know as the godfather <laughs> they still call me that oh, such a great uh, great guy i mean uh, everything he does for you over the years how, you know how many times has he been a part of the Monterey Jazz Fest yeah Christian you know? is, is the greatest um, his, his, he is uh, a force of nature both as a musician and as a person he's eternally optimistic he's curious about the world he's curious about all forms of music um, he uh, approaches life uh, with with the glass more than half full, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and artistically, he's got so many different balls juggling in the air. As I say, I don't I don't know how that guy has time in the morning to brush his teeth. He's he's so busy doing things. So exactly, the fact that he can come out this year and be with us is um, is is fantastic. You know, for me, and uh, I consider him a. Uh, a musical hero and a and a good friend and I'm just I'm just pleased he'll be able to be with us. We're gonna play a little bit of his latest one, Christian McBride's New Jaw Prime. We're gonna hear the title track just a little bit to, to tease you, so to speak, to get you down there at the Monterey Jazz Fest. Sixty sixth annual Monterey Jazz Fest is coming right around the corner. September twenty two to twenty four.
paid this out. We got a couple more artists who want to share with you who will be at the Monterey Jazz Festival coming up again the 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. But uh, again, that was Kristen McBride. We're going to go uh, talk a little bit about Lucretia Benjamin. She is the artist in residence this year. Yeah, she is. Uh, that is correct. She was also on our latest edition of Monterey Jazz Festival on tour, which we did earlier this year. Uh, she's a very dynamic young alto saxophonist. Um, making a lot of noise right now. Uh, got a couple of great records out with her band Phoenix. Um, and so she's done a great job as a young person in our education programs in um, uh, relating to and identifying with and helping to nurture the young students in our education programs. And she'll definitely be doing that during the festival weekend and along, excuse me, with playing some great music with her own band and sitting in with the Next Generation Jazz Orchestra along with uh, John Handy. We're bringing her and John Handy out together for the festival, for the performance with the Next Generation Jazz Orchestra. Oh, that's so nice, so nice. Always putting it together, Tim, so beautifully done, wonderfully done. So we're going to play a little bit of this, and then we're going to move right along. Time is running out, and so we're so glad to have you here this afternoon to, to bring us the preview of what we have in store. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks, David. You bet. Thank you, Tim. Again, alto saxophonist Lucretia Benjamin will be there. Uh, again, our artist in residence for the 66th Monterey Jazz Fest. Uh, we're going to leave with a classic piece here just because uh, time is running out. You know, the party's just beginning, huh, Tim? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is the teaser. Yeah, this, this party's ending, but there's another yeah. one starting. Coming up. There you go. 